Welcome to Lives on the Lines. I'm Catherine Kerr, and in this series, I'll take you on a journey with me through the heart and history of our great Anglian landscape. The railways have connected communities and counties across Britain for nearly two centuries, and that time has seen enormous innovation in the trade, work, opportunities and lifestyles of the British people. Rail has tracked our lives through innovation, migration, boom and bust, and today, the Greater Anglia Rural Branch Lines connect communities here for work, days out and enjoying the beautiful East Anglian landscape. Across this series, I'll be taking to six of the Greater Anglia Lines. I've been invited along by the community rail partnerships that run projects on these lines to help ensure that the railway meets the needs of the communities it serves. We'll travel through Fenland and leafy cuttings, from breathtaking cathedral cities to historic villages and bracing coastlines. And we'll hear from the people that make East Anglia such a unique and special place to live and visit. So let's get on board as we take a journey along the Harrowwood Line. I'm beginning my journey across East Anglia by traversing the Cambridgeshire Fens. This naturally marshy flat region is close to sea level and in the past life and farming in the area was at the water's whim as it regularly flooded cutting off communities and submerging the land. Peterborough, this train will now terminate here. All change, please. In the mid-1600s, a Dutch engineer called Cornelius Vermeuden was employed by the Earl of Bedford in a vast scheme to build artificial dikes and water channels, draining the water, managing flooding and enabling crop production within these fertile peaty soils. This draining of the fens has left us with the landscape we know today. We'll be travelling this country along the Heroid Line. Our starting point is the cathedral city of Peterborough. And I'll be enlisting the help of a true Peterborian to help us unlock a few secrets. I'm meeting Trevor Pierce. He's chairman of a local history society and in his free time collects old photographs and postcards of Peterborough. We meet him in the archway of the magnificent cathedral. Trevor, great to meet you. And you. Thanks very much indeed. So what does being a Peterborian mean? What do you have to do to become one? Up till 1974, Peterborough was divided by one thing called the river. And north of the river, where we are now, this part of the city was in Northamptonshire. And the south of the river was in Huntingdonshire. Uh-huh. It's always said that to be a true Peterborian, you have to be born north of the river. So that explains why Peterborough is the largest, said to be the largest city in East Anglia. Yes, uh-huh. it is now. By I would have thought now by a long way. If I were to ask you, Trevor, yeah. as a visitor to Peterborough, for your top three things to see... One would have to be that in front of us. That enormous um, cathedral. I mean, that, that cathedral is, is absolutely magnificent. It takes your breath away. It's been here 902 years. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it took 130 years to build. Now, that's what, to me, is the most fantastic part, because the people who had the foresight and the vision to build it never saw it finished. Never got to sit, just had to trust that they could hand on the vision to the next generation. Exactly. We've walked in through the West Gate, and there are these beautiful, honey-coloured, bright stones which are just glowing in the afternoon sunshine. There's... Uh, an ornate gate and over the top of the gate some long stained glass windows with turrets either side and these are quite special aren't they Trevor? Yes they are, yes. And today it's the most fantastic library ever. 
holding some most fantastic books, some of them sort of three, four, five hundred years old. Wow, and you work in this library? Yes. As a volunteer, I work in it um, half a day of the week, well, sometimes a bit more than that, simply uh, preserving those fantastic books that are there. So everyone that's using these buildings, whatever the purpose is, are taking a role of kind of stewardship in yes. looking after them. Yes, they are, because let's, let's be honest, um, Catherine, we're nothing but stewards of them. We don't own them as such. Mm-hmm. We're only holding them in lieu till the next generation. I don't know if you know Perkins Engines. Mm-mm. Biggest employer in Peterborough, always has been. At one point, they employed over 12,000 people. Oh, wow, okay. They're the biggest diesel engine manufacturers of the world. I mean, their main factory, if you can believe this, used to be under Queensgate. And Queensgate is the shopping centre? It's a, it's a beautiful shopping centre that covers the whole of the, the old centre of Peterborough. Uh, believe it or not, there's a talk that I do called Before Queensgate. <laughs> really? And people ask me, well, what was there, Trevor, before Queensgate? And when I tell them there was a diesel engine factory, there was a printing works, there was a graveyard, there were something like 15 pubs, there was a huge department store on one corner, and today, without a shadow of a doubt, Queensgate attracts a lot of people from East Anglia and, and even the Midlands. Well, it's buzzing here in the centre today. There's loads of restaurants that yep. are open doing trade, lots of shops, lots yep. of people out enjoying the warm weather and doing a bit of shopping. Sorry, I've just right. seen something. I'm just <laughs> We've um, walked into the marketplace and there's a bronze figure with its hand up, sheltering its eyes, looking out across the view of the square. It's not stated, it's a nude figure. Um, it's a nude figure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a nude bronze figure. A very famous sculptor did them about three years ago. Brilliant. We're now looking at one of the oldest buildings in the city. Yeah. This was originally the town hall. 1671. Yes, that's right. It's sat here on columns in the middle of the square. This market square was, certainly when I was a child, it was all cobbles. And it was used for everything. I mean, the main Peterborough market was held here twice a week. Mm -hmm. And other things were held here on every Boxing Day. The Fitzwilliam Hunt met here. And my parents worked for Boots the Chemist. And so Dad, when it was the things like the meeting of the hunt, he would take me and my sister up there in the warm. There would be an open fire going. It was lovely and warm. We sat there in the warm and everybody down here frozen. Trevor, thank you so much for a brilliant mini tour of Peterborough. Not at all. I hope it inspires lots of people to visit and come and see it for themselves. And it's been lovely meeting you. And to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks so much. Superb. If you were wondering, the bronze sculpture overlooking Cathedral Square is one of three human figures by artist and sculptor Anthony Gormley, representing thought, speech and action. Maybe you can spot the other two on your visit. Wandering around Peterborough, it's clear that with an eye like Trevor's, you just need to look up to catch a glimpse of the lives that have come before. And changes to the wider Fenland landscape have also brought archaeologists many clues to the past. Just outside Peterborough lie Flag Fen and Must Farm Bronze Age Settlement. Both are really important archaeological sites. Must Farm was only discovered in 1999 on the edge of a working quarry and is still yielding new insights into life here thousands of years ago. Elsewhere across the fens, the shrinking peat levels are unveiling other amazingly well-preserved snapshots of archaeological history. It's back to the station now and in a few minutes we've left behind the city and are out in open country. 
And from the comfort of the brand new Greater Anglia trains, I've got the perfect view. The Harrowwood Line crosses from Peterborough to the flat clay ridge called the Middle Level, and then onwards to our final destination in Ely. The line itself is named after a local folk hero called Harrowwood the Wake. This Anglo-Saxon rebel roamed the Fens, leading the resistance against William the Conqueror and his allies years after 1066. His activities were traced in the Anglo-Saxon chronicle kept at Peterborough Abbey, which provides fascinating insights into the man and the legend. After the fighting itself, the Normans eventually rebuilt that same cathedral into its present-day form. We'll hear more about Hereward the Wake a little later on, though, because we're already arriving in Whittlesey to meet station adopter Jeff Howells. Welcome to the city. Nice to see you, Catherine. Glad that you found your way up to the remote parts of Fenland. <laughs> I nearly didn't get off the train, though. I was looking out the wrong window. Yeah, the Fens are uh, beautiful in their own way. No mountains or anything, but there's uh, there's lots of flooded areas and uh, rivers. And you get out and enjoy them quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, I'm as a regular runner, I tend to run around the uh, footpaths and lanes around the Fens. Oh, you're so lucky to have that on your doorstep. This is one of your hobbies, but you, in your free time, you're a station adopter here at Whittlesea. Can you tell me about what that involves? There is another station adopter, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Hill. So together we water the plants and plant the plants, and uh, Andrew's wife helps as well. Have you always lived in Whittlesea? been here since 1983, so I've always been a teacher in the area. What were you teaching? I was teaching maths. Wow. So when you... Excuse me. So when you retired, how did you approach what you wanted to do with your time? I still do lots of maths. I do maths every day. I also started up a park run for Whittlesea, which is a popular sort of movement of fitness. You can do park runs all over the country, so I started one up in Whittlesea. How many people run at park run? I think we get about, on average, about 90 per week. (laughs) That's a lot of people, a lot of moral support as well. The other thing about park run is that there's a large network of... um, volunteers so it's not just the people that run each week we have around 20 volunteers and those are people that actually enjoy coming out to 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 do voluntary work so why do you think volunteering is an important part in the community here um well i think everyone's got to try and give something back yeah it's good to do voluntary work and do what you can to improve the community and you certainly do as i walked up towards the station i saw you just sneaking in a little bit of a clip on the hedge to kind of make sure everyone well, visiting that's right. gets there's, a, there's a sign that says town center and we have had people walk in the opposite direction <laughs> uh, and that can end up in the back of beyond and those people sometimes are never seen again a little so fen wonder <laughs> so it's very very important to have clear signs the straw bear festival is the most popular day of the year for the station we have these platforms with probably 200 people on back in January. They do stop at various pubs and so on. So it, uh, going by train is a big feature. Wow, that's a big job with 200 very merry people on a Well, that's right. So at least afternoon. I was able to use my teaching experience of all those school trips and things to say, stand behind the line, please. And <laughs> it's a very good skill to have. Thank you so much for talking to me, Jeff. It's been great to meet you. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's very nice to meet you too. What's all this about a festival then? It sounds like a pretty big deal. We're heading into the heart of Whittlesea now, about to meet Brian Kell, B-E-M. That's for British Empire Medal. Originally from County Durham, Brian was nominated by his Whittlesea community for his work reviving a lost folk tradition and even received a gong from the Queen in her birthday honours. 
These days, the annual Straw Bear Festival is run by Brian, his family and a group of about 30 local people. It draws visitors from far and wide to the town every January. I met him in the marketplace, which has been a host store market since 1715. Brian, it's great to be here in Whittlesea. It's good to have you here. You moved here in 1979. What brought you to Whittlesea? I was a civil servant and they were opening an office in Peterborough and I was asked to go and help open that office. And we toured the area looking around and I drove into Whittlesea, as you do, and I thought, hmm, Whittlesea, where have I heard that before? So when I got back home, I rifled through my long playing records and came across a, rat- a record called Rattlebone and Ploughjack, which was produced by a man called Ashley Hutchins. Uh-huh. And there is a mention on this particular long playing record about a straw bear in Whittlesea. And I just said, we're going to live there. So you were called to Whittlesea by this kind of recollection of a record which felt like a bit of a sign. And you didn't leave it there, did you? I joined the Whittlesea Society with the perception that I was going to actually revive this tradition of dressing a man in straw and taking him around the town around about Plough Monday time. It was the traditional day in Whittlesea was the day after, on Tuesday. And uh, with the help of the Whittlesea Society, we revived it in 1980, but we moved it to a Saturday so more people could see it. So we'll have to rewind just a, a little bit here. There was a tradition of someone dressing as a bear. They called it a bear. And being pushed around town. He would be walked around town and made to dance in front of people's houses. So why was this a tradition? We don't know. <laughs> it just started. But this is, it's an endemic of a, a lot of this type of traditions throughout the whole of Europe. Mm-hmm. In particular, in Central Europe and Germany. Part of a kind of moving festival. Exactly, yes. Basically, it was done uh, at the time of when the ploughing was about to recommence after the Christmas holidays and a very, very symbolic turn of the year. It's the old New Year in actual fact. Oh, really? Yeah. There was an attempt to stop it by, uh, in the words of the, of the writer, an overzealous inspector of police who said it offended the vagrancy acts of the Victorian vagrancy acts and people were out begging and it should be stopped. But I suspect it was probably the First World War that which I always like to say that the straw bear went to sleep for 30 years, Mm. 70 years, should I say. 70 years, yeah. Okay, so we'll fast forward a little bit then through time. The bear sleeps through part of the 20th century and then in 1979 you and your wife, Christine, moved to Whittlesea with your calling. (laughs) What happened then? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And uh, I didn't even know how to make it. I had to sit down with a blank bit of paper and work out how to actually construct the thing. And the nice thing about our bear, in deference to the continental straw bears, which we have seen, is that our bear can dance. What does he dance to? We we have a tune, Mm -hmm. a tune which was again came from the Rattlebone and Ploughjack LP. (laughs) And what Ashley Hutchins did, he had this person speaking about the straw bear from Sir James Fraser's Golden Bough and then ended up with a tune which was collected from George Green, who was a molly dancer from Little Downham. And I heard this tune and I said, if we're going to have a tune for the straw bear, it's got to be that one. 
we now use that tune and it dries everybody potty. Brian, there's, you've brought with you a, a sort of red handheld bag. It's very subtle here. What's inside? <laughs> uh, that's my melodeon. This is a beautiful instrument. Gold, ornately decorated. It's got a sort of fan inside and lots of buttons. It looks like an accordion, Brian. It certainly looks like an accordion, but it has buttons. Uh-huh. And an accordion has piano keys. Ah. And the instrument is played by pulling and pushing, whereas an accordion, if you press a piano key with an accordion, whether you push or pull, you get the same note. I've just had a music lesson as well <laughs> yeah. today. I didn't bank on that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to play for us today? All right. But the strawberry tune is, is the one. Yeah. And this is the one which really sold it to me. Those of us who, you know, who've, who've been involved, well, as soon as the tune starts, you see the bear in your mind's eye dancing. The knock-on effect has been an in- increase in the interest of folk dance in particular. Oh, really? Dance teams being formed. Every school in the town, the primary junior schools, provide a dance team for the day. And my wife and I train, have trained two school teams we get into a situation now it's been so long that the parents of some of the children that perform at straw bear were children themselves and performed at straw bear oh that's brilliant so there's a whole legacy of following mum and dad's footsteps there well brian thank you so much for taking me through the history of the straw bear and your amazing gift to the town of whistlesea today it's been brilliant to meet you thank you it's been a pleasure Heading south across the levels, we pass a couple more stops. The Fenland market town of March prospered after the drainage of the Fens allowed agriculture to boom. It's a popular place for those travelling the waterways by boat to stop off. The village of Maney is a vibrant community flanking the historic ooze washes, and it's a favourite for walkers and nature enthusiasts to explore. Steve Emery is a resident of Maney and has been on the parish council here for 36 years. I wanted to find out more about what it's like to live in this village. Steve, it's lovely to meet you. I understand that you have lived in Maine your whole life. I have, born and bred. It's not a little village, is it? We're not a sleepy village. There's something going on most nights of the week. We've got the um, RSPB washes, SSIC, all the way through. We've got nearby the Welney Reserve. There's some lovely walks. Uh, We've got the village recreation field and the community lake behind it what what people can enjoy fishing can i ask you about about yourself steve living in many all your life and it must have changed quite a bit well it has changed quite a bit i was i was thinking about this today actually the the actual bungalow we live in which we bought 20 odd years ago was a an orchard that we used to go in as young young boys and help ourselves to a few apples along the way so, yeah, it, it, it has changed an awful lot. What are your recollections of childhood, apart from stealing apples? We, we got up to mischief. We used to spend 
a lot of the school holidays fishing or if if the weather was nice we'd we'd go down the river and swim in the river oh that sounds brilliant we'd perhaps play football down the recreation field for about six hours a day and i think altogether we've got about 10 teams in the village that wow that on the uh recreation field so it's fairly active down the playing field at weekends <laughs> well how brilliant to have all of that on your doorstep as well like a real natural playground definitely my wife was actually a march girl oh oh okay <laughs> is there a rivalry only when when <laughs> when the football starts is probably a, probably is during the football season but march as as you know was a big railway town and my wife's father was a, a long term engine driver i actually had a spell on the railway myself after we got married i had a couple of years on the railway oh what were you doing making making trains up and then i went out as a freight guard for 12 12 months 18 months but the trouble were it was all shift work and my wife was at home with two young children so i had to go back in well i didn't have to but i decided that i'd go back in the building trade and that's what i did i love how you know, whatever you've done, whether it's building trains or managing freight or working in the the building trade, you've been a part of, of kind of the development of life and the enabling of all that change in, in Maney. Yeah, I think I've virtually worked in every every house in the village apart from the new developments. <laughs> <laughs> we we brought up four girls and they're, and they're flown to pastures new. One on them's at, at March, one on them's at Peterborough. The youngest one's in Lincolnshire in a little town. Obviously, my second daughter, she's up in Scotland, right, as high as you can get. So <laughs> so everyone stayed pretty within reach ex- except her. <laughs> They're all within a couple of hours, but obviously the, the Scotland trip is quite a, a big trip for us. So if someone is coming down for the day, what would you recommend they do? It depends time of the year, really. They've got a very warm coat on. Right, they got a very warm coat on. Well, well, a, a, a couple of hours walking around the pit. Yeah, the main pit is behind the recreation field, and there's a public footpath, and you follow that away from the pit, and that will take you to a six or seven acre wood that you can get wow. all the way round. And there's all sorts of birds and animals you can see in there, uh, and then you can walk up the high street and go to the cafe and then go down the playing field in the afternoon and sit and watch the the football. And then on the way back, you can either call in the Rose and Crown or the British Legion and sit down and have a, have a lazy evening listening to music. We're whizzing across the Old Bedford and New Bedford rivers, which were developed in the mid-1600s to divert the water away from the neighbouring land. The area in between these channels is called ooze washes and it floods every winter. This means a detour to the locals who traverse it the rest of the year, but it brings the benefit of protected surrounding farmland and homes, as well as incredibly diverse wildlife. And it really must be something to see this in flood season. If you're into bird spotting, various trusts now look after the area as a site of special scientific interest. The RSPB ooze washes have a visitor centre near the historic Welch's Dam, and in winter, you can find an abundance of breeding wildfowl and waders here. That's just another unique aspect of how these advanced drainage schemes changed the landscape and allowed new kinds of life to prosper. As we head further down the line, a cathedral can be seen for miles around, haunting the landscape, which brings us to our last stop, 
we're in Ely to meet Nora Gardner, who moved here from London in 1989 to raise her family and stayed. Her love for the city and its surroundings has led her to become a Blue Badge guide, guiding visitors around this compact and pretty city with an encyclopedic understanding of its many, many layers. Nora, fantastic to meet you. Hello, lovely to meet you too. The cathedral itself is, is absolutely stunning. It's Barnack limestone, which had to be brought here because there isn't any stone in Ely. So it was quite a feat in itself to bring all this stone along the river to build this uh, huge building. You can see that the left-hand side is missing. I don't know if you're mm. aware of that, but... Um, it doesn't look very symmetrical. It, it was built as a symmetrical building, but due to the um, high water table and the foundations not being very deep because we're standing on green sand, the building has shifted quite a lot over the years and the left-hand side has collapsed. Oh, wow. Um, so we're no longer symmetrical. No. <laughs> so it doesn't look a bit like Pisa, if you look at it. <laughs> this is a slight uh, lean to the right. So. Oh, I thought that was just me, Nora. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're very lucky to have it, and I think the one that we're looking at now is um, the result of William the Conqueror really wanting to put his stamp on England and saying, you know, I've now conquered the whole of England and I'm going to build in the Norman style big places to say thank you to God for my success and show that I'm now the leader. And he also plonked a castle here as well. He plonked a castle here um, facing out towards the river in Cherry Hill Park. We do have um, the foundations. It's been um, discovered by another archaeologist, so we do know it existed. We're going to have a wander around Ely today and look at a few sites, but if someone's visiting, what are the top things they um, need to know? We have... Um, Oliver Cromwell's house, which is the only house remaining where he actually lived. We have a beautiful riverside with lots of um, lovely restaurants and walks, boat trips, as well as lots of little unique shops and tea rooms and all sorts of things. So don't just think about the cathedral if you come here. Have a, have a look round. <laughs> so where are we now? Um, we're just coming up to um, a gateway on the left, which is known as the Porter. And this was the main entrance into the monastic um, settlement buildings. There's some beautiful gardens here. In the times of the monastery, this was all part of their land. Mm -hmm. So where we're walking now would have been um, fish ponds, vineyards, trying to think, and oh, wow. also um, trees with nuts and other vegetables growing. So it was like there, a huge allotment, I suppose, but for the monastery. Tell me about eels. Eels are um, very famous in Ely. It's always thought that the name Ely comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, which meant island of eels. Wow! Uh, there's a bit of dispute on that now, but it's, it's the nicest story, and I think they stick to it. <laughs> I'm told from reading about it that even up until the Victorian times, you could go down to the river and you could scoop them up in your hands. They were so prolific. But not today? Not today. Because of the drainage, mainly, the eels who have a very strange life cycle, they have to go back to the Sargasso Sea to mate, wow. then come back to the river. And they couldn't get back to the river because we very cleverly drained um, a lot of the land and put gates in their way so they couldn't get back through. And now we do have them, but you have to um, have special permission to fish for them. And we are watching the levels very carefully. And hopefully now we've made some alterations to the gates, um, more and more eels are coming back. So 
maybe if you come visit us again, you'll be able to have eels at one of the local restaurants. Wow. <laughs> Great that there's so much thought going into their kind of reintroduction and preservation. On the right here is where the castle that William the Conqueror built uh, used to be situated, where all these lovely big trees are. Oh. And then that would look um, down the slope towards the river to protect us from um, any um, invaders coming along the river. William the Conqueror built these castles after conquering yes. <laughs> the area, but there was there's quite a famous bit of resistance here in Ely specifically, wasn't there? Yes, we have Heriwood the Wake. Heriwood was here in 1070. He fought with other Anglo-Saxon soldiers for about four years to keep William the Conqueror and the Normans out of England. And Ely apparently was one of the last places to show resistance. So um, <laughs> Heriwood and his pals hold up here on the on what was a mound surrounded by water. Yes, managed to do it for four years. Wow. Um, all sorts of things were tried against them, and I think William the Conqueror was about to give up. We hear that with exasperation at the end, he was advised by another soldier to um, employ a witch, oh, <laughs> a local witch from um, Brandon, <laughs> and she was going to be put in front of the... Anglo-Saxons, Heriwood and his men, and shout out spells to, to put them off. <laughs> I never thought of that. What a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, it didn't work, I'm afraid, because um, <laughs> the story goes that Heriwood slipped into the Norman camp, changed his appearance, and heard about the plan and what was going to happen. So when this poor lady was set on a platform shouting incantations at them, they set fire to the reed beds and the trees and she panicked because she was up high and uh, fell to her death. Oh, no! Uh, and uh, that was the end of the witch, and that was the end of William's attempt at that time to get onto the island. I mean, I'm feeling sorry for the witch here. <laughs> yes. Imagine yeah. you're this poor woman that gets enlisted to be the last, yes. the last, attempt, the last attempt for the conquering <laughs> of England. It is rather a sad story for her, really. Yeah, that's um, rubbish. Poor witch. Poor witch. And then William uh, had to do a deal with some of the monks at the um, cathedral, and that's really how he managed to get on. Was Heriwood betrayed by the monks then? Well, we don't know what happened to him. We think that he managed to escape and leave the country. But yes, I mean, essentially his resistance came to an end because the monks told uh, William how to do it. And he had to sort of mysteriously disappear. Yes, yes he mysteriously but... disappeared and was not seen in Ely again. We've walked through, is this the Jubilee Gardens? This is the Jubilee Gardens that we've walked through. And the Jubilee Gardens is where the annual Eel Day Festival culminates, Yes, right? yes, that's right. This is the sort of central ground for um, the celebrations. There's a few things going on the day before up in the town, like a eel-throwing contest, which is <laughs> not real eels, I hasten to add, but uh, handmade eels that can be thrown, and the longest throw is the winner. Um, so <laughs> uh, strange uh, local uh, games and activities. But then the procession that starts on the Saturday weaves its way through the town and comes down to the Jubilee Gardens, where there are lots of activities and stalls, eels to buy and to taste. And this um, is every May, isn't it? Yes. In the olden days, people who lived here used eel skin for wedding rings. Oh, because it's good luck? Uh, yes, for, for luck. And um, also, if you had things like rheumatism or a fen ague, as it was called, which was, I think, a bit like malaria, you used to wrap yourself in eel skins wow. to protect you. So, I wonder why so, that worked. Then. Yes, I don't know if it uh, worked, but certainly the local people believed it 
you know, did work and they wrapped themselves quite tightly uh, in that for the winter months, you know, with a nice uh, layer of um, lard or something in between and then the eel skins and then you'd keep that on without washing till the um, sun started to come out and then you'd take it all off. So <laughs> did it work? Who knows? <laughs> uh, Sorry to interrupt you, Bob. Well, hi, Bob. Well, we've <laughs> just, I've just come down to the water. We've just seen you from afar, your barge in, and you uh, properly dressed the part as well for a Well, river absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you do here on the river? Uh, basically, I run river trips. During the course of the day, we do half hour trips up and down the Great Ooze with a little commentary and a bit of history and seeing a few sights. And you're off on a, a trip this morning when it's lovely weather. Yes, yeah, so we head out into Middle Fen. We'll turn back through the city to Caudal Fen and then back here. Takes about half an hour. And like I say, there is a little commentary that goes on, which will give you a few sights and a bit of history. Oh, wow. So how long have you been doing this then? Uh, this is my eighth season that I've actually been running this vessel, but I've been on the water most of my life. So you know the fens like the back of your hand? Fairly well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to meet you, and I don't want to hold you up from your trip this morning. No problem at all. You could come and join us if you wish. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Laura, thank you so much for taking me on, on our little walk around Ely today. Mm. I know there's a lot more to see. It's been a, a pleasure. It's a lovely day and it's nice to tell you, Catherine, about how beautiful Ely is. What's a way to end our flirtation with the fens? The 30-odd miles between Peterborough and Ely certainly seem to be rich in history, culture and tradition. It's so clear that life along the Harrowwood Line is deeply connected to the waters that have ebbed and flowed here for thousands of years, and there are still so many secrets to uncover. I've only scratched the surface of what there is to explore along the line today, but maybe you can delve a little deeper on your own trip. The Community Rail Partnerships in Greater Anglia are proud of the work they're doing and would love you to come and visit one day, as long as you visit by train, of course. You can find out more about travel along all of Greater Anglia's regional lines at greateranglia.co.uk. Next time on Lives on the Line from Greater Anglia and East Anglia's Community Rail Partnerships. We're off to Essex to explore the Mayflower Line, from Manningtree to Harwich. He picked up really on James I's laws of witchcraft. Thought, I can get rich pretty quick on this. They blamed certain people, especially elderly women seem to have got the blame for it. There will be witch hunting, a bizarre holiday house by Grayson Perry and a legendary shipping history to uncover. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on your favourite app and join me again soon. Mm-hmm.